Hey, Mixed Motherhood pod fans. Just a quick note about this week's episode. We apologize for the audio quality. Um, we had some technical difficulties. We didn't want to scrap the episode because we had such a great guest and such good conversation. So we hope that you'll listen to it. Thank you so much. Take care. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Mixed Motherhood podcast. How is everybody doing today? We hope you're doing great. Hi, I'm Cookie, and I'm here with Denai, and we're here with our special guest today. I am super excited for this guest. I have known this wonderful woman for many, many years, and we have worked together. So you have the most amazing honor of being our first uh, guest on the podcast. Jada, welcome to Thank the you show. Thank you for having me. You are actually, well, we are excited to have you here and you're actually our first guest. So Jana, tell us a little bit about yourself. We know that you have two girls. They are 13 and 8. Yeah, that's right. And you're married to a, a man from Ivory Coast. Is that correct? That is correct. So how did you, how did you meet your, your husband? Yeah. So my husband and I met in Europe. Um, he was working and I was traveling, uh, doing the good old backpacker thing many, many years ago. And that's how we met. And then we traveled around quite a bit and, uh, yeah, now we're here in Canada and it's been 18, 18 years. Hard, hard to believe that, but yeah, 18 years together. How did you guys get from being in Europe? Cause you were in Belgium, right? Yeah. How did you get from being uh, in Europe to coming here to Canada? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I went back and forth to Europe a few times. Um, and then my husband, uh, well, I mean, he wasn't my husband at the time, but um, at the time he was like, you know what? I really want to go back home. His mom was actually quite ill. Um, and he just was like, I need to go spend time with her. I'm going to go mm -hmm. back. Why don't you come with me? We can spend a year. We can visit my family. It'll be great. Um, and at that time I was a university student. So I was like, well, you know what? I have a summer off. Why don't I commit to the summer? And then we can assess after that. So you had and like a summer romance in Europe and then you went <laughs> and <laughs> had another summer romance or whatever in Ivory Coast. I know. And I don't even think of myself as really like a romantic soul that's like craving that romance. It's interesting. What are you talking about? This is so romantic. You meet a, a, a handsome guy. Beyond, beyond romantic. Who's you going fall to in love? He takes you to meet his parents. Oh my word. <laughs> I know. It sounds so romantic, doesn't it? So you spend time with him. Mm -hmm. How did you get from being in the Ivory Coast to getting here? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How do we get from Ivory Coast to here? Yeah. So we spent some time. We were almost there for a year. And then there was a lot of civil unrest in his country and a civil war. So I ended up having to come home and just moving through that process of having extreme privilege of the Canadian government calling me to put me on a flight home while my husband was staying because he was he maybe took some risks of taking the decision to let his visa to Europe expire and then not having a visa oh, to come no. to Canada. And so being in that limbo state, but not expecting it to sort of get to where it got to get to sort of this like dangerous space where it was sort of unsafe to be. And I think that, you know, it was a really hard decision to come home. But at some point when the local people are telling you like, you're not safe here, leave. I think it's probably a smart decision to leave. So yeah, at that point I left and then he came, oh gosh, I think it was like six months later, he ended up getting his visa finally and was able to uh, enter the country. So yeah. Oh, wow, so that's he, quick actually. 
It was quite quick, actually. Yeah. By today's by today's standards, <laughs> totally. I know, right? Um, and yeah. So anyway, then we. I mean, we've been in Canada ever since. We've traveled and lived some other places, mm-hmm. but predominantly been been living in Canada. So when did you get married? Well, right after that's the other interesting part back. of my story, because now I feel like I'm such a I'm I'm talking like I'm such a romantic, but I I promise <laughs> you I'm not. You should ask him. He'll be like, she's like not. That's not her jam. But it's actually like another interesting story. So when we went to um, Ivory Coast, we were engaged at that point, but we really didn't go there with the idea that we would get married there, to be honest. Like, I think we went with the idea that we really want to spend some time with family and uh, travel. We had like a lot of plans to travel the continent. We went there also because his mom was ill and she was actually quite ill and that got progressively worse. And so at some point, my husband was like, we have to have a wedding here. Like, and his dad has, he had already lost his dad. So at this point he's like, if we don't have a wedding and I lose my mom, I'm like, I'm not having any parents at my wedding. Like I've got to get married here. And I was like, Oh, this is like a big decision, right? This is like the plot of a movie. Yes, I know. I think I you need to you sell your life. Like, I, how many people story. are like, you should write a book. Jana, you should write a book. 100% you should write a book. And you know how you should start the book? Let me start by saying I am not a romantic by <laughs> any I love that. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the title. Not a romantic. Read my romantic novel. Please. Oh my gosh. So you had a big fat African wedding. What was that like? Yeah, it was a it was an interesting, it was a really interesting journey because I guess the other big key pieces, like they speak French. It, their mm-hmm. first language in Quebec was French. Obviously, they were colonized by French. And so not their first language, but the first like the language of the country for the most part. Yeah. yeah. And so that always poses a challenge when you have some rocky French and you're trying to plan a wedding. Yeah. So when you, when you're speaking different languages and trying to plan a wedding, that's, that's always an interesting situation to be in. So anyway, yeah, I mean, it was, it was beautiful, right? Like what's there to say? Like we had traditional clothing. It was a beautiful wedding. His whole family came. Obviously my family wasn't there, um, but we had made a strategic decision at that point because we were like, my family all can't get here and your family all can't come to Canada. So we got to make a decision about what this looks like for us and for them. And we've made a decision that, you know what, we're going to have two weddings. We're going to have one here for your family. And we're going to have one in Canada for my family when we return, because it's the only way to make this fair. So my dad and his wife were going to come. And there were some few people that from my family that probably could have, could have made it happen. Right. But it gets really Mm -hmm. complex. And we felt like we were on a bit of a time crunch because his mom was deteriorating. And had things already started to get a little hectic? Yeah. So that it was really, it's interesting because it was in the north of the northern part of the country. And it's actually one of the reasons why his mom was in the city because they live in the like in the northwest part of the country. And they had come to the city and a whole bunch of his siblings because they were experiencing warlike situation in their home village. So that was the other interesting piece that all these people by chance were in the city and we could probably do this and everybody could could be there and celebrate together. So yeah, so we were able to have this amazing wedding. I have a question. Yeah. Um so now you're in Canada, he's here now, and then you decide to start a family. Mm. What was like your first initial thought uh, when you found out you were pregnant and in your mind, knowing that my child's going to be different? He, mm. she, he or she is not going to look like me or my husband or my family members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a few things. One, we weren't planning to have family, or maybe he was, but I wasn't. You were not planning to have kids? No. There's no, no. judgment in my voice. I'm just very no. surprised. No. So, no. So two things. You're yeah. not a romantic and you can have that on every children. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. That is, it, like for real. And and 
I'll share, I can share a little bit about the story about how I found out I was pregnant. Cause it's actually like a super, well, it's just, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, so absolutely. at this point I had, okay. So we had brought his brother here and we lived, he lived with us, but I had just come back from the UK. I was doing my master's. So I was home in, Tro- in Toronto where they were living. I was writing my thesis. My husband was in Montreal working because he traveled a lot for work. And I was with my brother-in-law and one day he's like, oh my God, you're pregnant. And I was like, how dare you say that? Like, what are you even saying? Like, I am not pregnant. How dare you? How could you say that about me? Like, what? How would you know anyway? And he was like, excuse me? I am the youngest of 18 siblings, Jenna. (laughs) And I know a pregnant lady when I see her and you're pregnant. So go get a test. And I was like, tell me how you, why do you think that? And he was like, everything stinks. You don't like the smell of anything. You're super tired. You're not hungry. You're you're, you're like bitchy. So then of course I was like, I can't even, I can't, I can't even imagine being pregnant. Like I, I don't want kids. Like, what do you like? What? And I'm just finishing grad school and I have these big like career dreams and I can't be pregnant. And then my husband came back and I was like, go buy three tests. Like, I don't, I'm not going to trust any of these. Yeah. Go buy three. Um, yeah. And of course all three were like pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. Oh, uh, so I don't think I talked to my husband for quite some time. And then I was like, you can call the grandparents <laughs> and tell them because I'm not telling anybody. Like, I, I was a, I was really shocked. Like, I, I can't yeah. even tell you how shocked I was. Uh, and I know that sounds silly, but like, I was really shocked. But having said all that, like, at the same time, I was also like, oh my gosh, cool. We're going to have a baby. This is fun. Like, baby, what's, yeah. what do we do? What's next? Right. And I guess I had feelings of like uh, of the difference maybe, but it's a weird thing. Like, I, I think I've always been a person who, who loves anything that's not like me. Okay. Yes. And I think I am still that human. I'm still that human who is like, Ooh, ooh I want to learn. I want to understand. I want to know. I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want to, you know, and also I, this is like a really side note, but like I grew up with a lot of freckles and I hated having freckles because I got bullied and teased my whole life for them. So I was like, amazing. My kids won't have freckles. And freckles are in now. Like every and Instagram that's filter, I'm... TikTok filter is freckles. So it's wild. And like, hello, mixed, any mixed black, 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 anybody can have freckles. Yeah. yeah. But in my head, I was like, they won't have, they freckles. Won't have freckles. That's great. <laughs> Actually, you two of my that. kids are, my oldest has a lot of freckles and my middle has just started to develop freckles because their dad has freckles. Go. So anybody can have freckles. <laughs> anybody can have freckles but in my small little mind at that time i was like they won't won't have freckles so one thing and i i mean i don't know cookie if you went through this but i know i definitely did that when i found out i was pregnant it just really highlighted the differences in culture between me and my husband Mm -hmm. for example throughout my pregnancy i remember craving like in Zimbabwe, it sounds very odd, but there's like this special dirt from a tree that pregnant women crave. He could not for the life of him understand why mm. I had this craving. He actually asked the doctor, like, is she okay? Like, why, why is she craving these things? And just even things around, you know, when do you name the baby? Do you name the baby before? Do you name the baby after? Did you guys go through any of those like uh, intercultural differences when you were pregnant? Yeah, I would say for like for sure the naming piece mm-hmm. uh, was an interesting situation. But again, like that, that's so fascinating because Italian culture is similar. But then it was the fight between like, is it going to be the Italian side or or, or the African yes. side? So so that's interesting. I think there were just things in terms of like caring for your body that were different. Like his expectations of like what you should like, how do you treat your body? What do you put in your body? Mm-hmm. Care for your body. 
the difference between like using natural products versus like products that you would buy in a drugstore here, for example. So those types of things. I am actually very surprised because the African men that I know know nothing about pregnancy mm. except maybe how to get someone pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of that educational piece is left on like the aunties, right? Your auntie comes to see you with like a whole plethora of like knowledge and yeah you know they they take care of you when the baby is born so i'm very impressed that your husband was so hands-on with the pregnancy which i think is really awesome my husband loves woman uh, elder woman yes. he loves the culture of woman and so he he can cook he's one of those rare individuals and men especially from african culture that loves to cook yeah. and he's always cooking so like he was so close to his mom and he he is so close to his sisters and like i think he truly understands like those pieces mm -hmm. so i hear what you're saying because i've obviously now i've learned like through his brother and his experience and his nephew and like all these folks that have now come here and i'm, I'm mm -hmm. living you know vicariously through their experiences and i'm like whoa yeah I am so blessed. You, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And were 100%. you ever at odds over anything during the pregnancy or even early on in parenting? Did you guys ever disagree or have differences in opinion? I mean, I think, you know, we're always going to probably have differences in opinion about certain things, especially the differences of opinion are interesting, especially as you're raising like young females. There's some small things around, like, for example, like, how do we discipline these young individuals? And and I think the other thing is, like, how do we discipline them in 2022? Mm -hmm. uh, very different from how both of us grew up. Um, I think there's some differences sometimes around, like, the notion and concept of, like, friends. Like, our children having friends and all these sleepovers and the connection to friends. Like, it was different the yeah. way he grew up compared to that. So, we have girls. They always want to have sleepovers. There are always sleepovers in my house. My house is always Oh, no. Is this a foreshadowing for me? <laughs> yes. Get ready. No. <laughs> and he's like, why do they need to sleep here? I, I think I mean now he's used to it because we're years into this but I think at the beginning it's always like just an interesting journey on those those kind of types of things I, I don't think we have any like major major disagreements in terms of parenting when it comes to talking to them about the different things that are going on in their lives in terms of race or their hair or anything like that how involved is he when it comes to to discussing those issues you know, I think those issues have certainly surfaced themselves a bit more in the last four years since we've lived here compared to when we were living in Toronto. And the other difference is that he works remotely now. So he's a bit more present in like the day to day. What's interesting is I, I feel like I get more heated than he does. Like when things happen at school, I'm like instantly like aggro and I'm like, principal, we will talk now. You will do these things and we will like, I'm not accepting this. But I think he does a good job of, I think he does like a really great job of sharing with them and, and helping them to understand maybe the way the world might see them, but how they can see themselves. And I think one of the things that we, we value as, as like a family and as a couple is that we are dedicated to ensuring our children have experiences from both sides of the culture, deep experiences, deep relationships, and deep connections. So, you know, we might not engage in activities that are common in Canadian culture, like buying a massive house and buying brand new Audis, because we are dedicating our salaries to bring our kids back home for six weeks to spend time with the family. So yeah. there's like, you know, we're committing ourselves to a different level of experience for our children. And we want to ensure that they have connections to both sides, that they speak both languages, that they 
they understand and can be present in both spaces in a comfortable way, in a safe space. But for sure, it, it's tricky and, there, and there's bumps along the way. I'm very surprised. He seems to be super hands-on, which is awesome. I know. What a great African man. But that's, um, I have to commend you on that. That is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. You've made, both of you have made a conscious decision that you are going to engross your children in both cultures. You're not going to pull one or pull the other. You're just yeah, going to try absolutely. your best. Although you may live here, you're going to both try your best to make sure that they know that they have family elsewhere and that family is just as important as the family here, which I think is a very difficult thing for a lot of families who are mixed to do because it's it's how do we do this? How do we marry our two cultures? How did we come together without having that conversation? We need to have that conversation. And nowadays, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a fad that we're in where we're you know marrying so many different cultures into different cultures and not necessarily understanding the full picture. And yeah, I'm just curious to know if a lot of people are actually going, hmm, what's the end goal here? If I married this white woman or if I married this white man, what's the end goal? What are we going to do? Because our cultures are significantly different. Uh, I think... I think you also have to be very proud of the both of you for being able to communicate those things to your children and make them recognize that or allow them to recognize that there's two sides to them and not saying you have to choose one or the other. There's two sides of you both. because We are not never going to understand really what they're going through because they, they are of a different kind of culture within themselves. Like they're in a different culture. Although there's going to be lots of them and they might find each other hopefully so that they can talk to each other and help each other with whatever struggles mm-hmm. they may have mm-hmm. but at least for now they know this is part of Cote d'Ivoire is part of my culture and so is Canada and I need to make sure mm-hmm. that I'm embracing both and it's just whether it's out of respect or out of the fact that they just enjoy the two and it's going to actually open them up to a whole world of experiences which is great 100% but we talked a lot about res- the responsibility like whose responsibility is it to really get our children excited about both their cultures or, you know, whatever their heritage is. Mm. We sort of talked about it from like a black, black, white perspective and said each parent plays their part. Like I think the, for example, the African parent has a responsibility to nurture those interests and, and those opportunities. And I think that, um, you know, if the other parent is white or Japanese or um, whatever, that it's also their responsibility to nurture those interests as well. It's not supposed to be up to just the one parent. And what I love about your relationship is that you both seem so invested in nurturing that culture with your children. And because I know you and I know your children, I'm, they're just the most amazing girls and so thoughtful. And I will never forget listening to your oldest talk about like how invested she was in learning French and how much she wanted to learn French. And she actually left. We were sitting in the park and she left to be next to her dad because her dad was having a conversation in French and she wanted to be a part of that. So that's definitely something that, you know, I I can only hope that I, I can do the same with my kids. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, in, it's interesting, right? Because I do think it is our responsibility, honestly. And I think like, 
Mm-hmm. I think my biggest fear is honestly like having mixed kids from whatever cultures they're from and them only knowing one side of that culture yes. and them growing up and meeting people from their uh, maybe other culture and, and not being able to relate and not understanding and, and can converse. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that for me is like a huge fear. And and sometimes, I, anyway, lately I've been, in, it's been interesting lately. I feel like I've been meeting more people that are like, oh, let me introduce you to these people who are similar to you. They have a, they're a mixed couple with mixed kids. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> interesting way to like introduce me i guess i'm just like i just love all people so i was like oh i guess i guess we might be similar maybe maybe not like right just because we have mixed kids we're similar it's like it's like saying to you oh look here come meet this white lady because you're white or here look meet this black lady because you're black well what is like why why do i (laughs) i may very well just be a completely different person they may be raising whatever they're doing good for them except though um, if you are in an environment uh because i lived in Kelowna. And I think that when you are in an environment where there's limited diversity, you kind of latch on to people who look like you because that, that builds that sense of community. Community. It does. But you know, what's strange tonight is that like when you've raised your children to not believe or think that way, the kids are like, so you're just introducing us because we're both mixed. Like, yeah. So the kid that like my kids are honestly like they love, they also are really open to all, all peoples. They just love people. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's interesting for them to be put in that situation because they're also like, I'm not sure, like they're having a hard time understanding like why you want to just connect me with this person. Cause maybe we have, we might kind of look alike. Maybe, I don't know. Like maybe, so it's, it's all, it is interesting to be honest and i and i think sometimes they're they're more like well i would you know i want to be introduced to these all these people too like so it, it's it's challenging it can be challenging right yeah for sure it's very interesting in how people's thought processes and it's possible that they are just doing it out of genuine concern and wanting to make sure you have your community or a community that would understand something that you might be going through that they don't understand but it's also yes. very like that's weird but okay, thank you for the thought, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to ask you, Jenna, you are, of course, are a white woman. And so your experiences of the world, especially in this country where it is the predominant culture is white culture. What are some of the things that you are doing to, as, as a woman of privilege, to really support your children and advocate for your children and most importantly support your husband who's a man of color we all know what it's like to be black in this country you know a lot of people fear for their lives there's a lot of hurdles that people have to overcome in your experience what are some of the things that you are doing Mm, can i be really honest yes of course i think that because we spent the first part of our life together either abroad or in Toronto I didn't actually dive into these situations and these concerns and thinking about my own privilege very deeply prior to moving to Kelowna I mean I thought about it but not as deeply as I have since I've been here and I think there's a few reasons for that probably because his family lived with us and we were surrounded by his culture and he he was supported and I think when you it's, I'm not saying it doesn't exist in Toronto but it's a very different environment oh 100%. the majority of our life yeah. was yeah the majority of our life was spent in in around and I mean I had my own African girlfriend and like so we had a huge community and the job market's different there it, it, I don't think it's as discriminatory as it is here and and maybe maybe that's my own perception I, I I ask my husband these questions all the time maybe to dive like a bit deeper into your question because I think definitely since we've moved here we and I and I actually think it's it's challenging us. It's challenging us in our day-to-day here. My husband wanted to come here. So let me just frame it like that because we had two choices. And he was like, 
we should go west again. But he, because he, your he family is in Kelowna, some of your family is in. Kelowna. Yeah, I have some of my dad's side here, but like they're not young, like right. We're talking about like older aunties mm-hmm. and stuff, right? So, but he he likes the climate here, and so and he, he kind of likes the environment. So it was his decision because he was getting a transfer. It was either here or Ottawa, right? So and he he was working in Penticton, and I'm not gonna lie, that place is not nice super racist, super hard, really hard environment. He struggled on the daily. And I think we had some really honest conversations about like, what kind of decisions do we make to make, move forward to make sure you feel safe, you feel healthy and you feel happy in what you're doing? Cause we can't do another decade with you working in this type of space where you're feeling this way. Right. So like we had to unpack some, like some heavy crap and like really dive into these deep questions about like, how can I support you? Cause now all of a sudden, like my environment's okay, but your yours isn't. And so we really worked together to like strategize on what are your next steps? What are you going to do next? Where are you going to go? Do we want to stay living here? Like we questioned this and I think, you know, maybe deny we might've had these con- we questioned yes. this for a few years. I remember coming beginning. into your office, preg- like completely pregnant. <laughs> so do you want to raise kids here? And I yes. think having lived in, um, in that kind of environment that is predominantly white, I think that because I feel like I am, I am a strong person that I could have dealt with it if I had no children, but it mm-hmm. really started to affect me when I became a mother. Yeah. You know, that's interesting, right? Cause all of a sudden you enter motherhood and there's another. I remember going to a doctor's appointment and having to describe symptoms on my body that the doctor had never seen before mm. because they had never had a black patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember with my first child, right before you leave the hospital, they give you like this whole spiel about jaundice. And they were saying, just look for like a yellowness in the skin. And I, in the back of my mind, I was like looking at my child and I'm thinking, how am I going to tell what jaundice looks like on a child who is mixed race? I think I started out very optimistic, but then it became really hard for me, especially when I have Mm -hmm. my second child. I leaned a lot on you, on my friends, uh, on my husband, who's, I said in the last episode, amazing, but it's not the same. You don't have a lot of people who look like you who are experiencing those things. And so I think it is a challenge. At least it was for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I mean, I think the challenge is that we're always going to, we're always going to face these types of challenges, I think. And I think it's, you know, I probably experienced the younger years of my children's life in a more diverse setting. And now I think they have the, they're equipped with some of the tools and, and skills they need to be able to navigate some of the spaces themselves. But there's no denying that I've, I've been at the school. I've been in big Zoom meetings and calling out principals and asking them what are their strategies, their EDI strategies. And um, yeah, I, I, I try to be as vocal and as present as I can uh, in advocating and supporting, but also recognizing that I do present as a woman from privilege with privilege. And, but you're using something. your privilege for good, not evil, which is what we I'm love. trying to. I mean, I'm trying to. I mean, it's, like, you know, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting piece, right? You know, you you try your best, but you always you know you always question like, am I doing enough? Okay. Is this enough? Like, am I supporting them enough? Am I here enough? Like, does my husband have what he needs? Like, you know, and then sometimes you're like, yeah, like just what more could I do? Right? Is this the mm-hmm. right way to do this? You know, I have to say um, something it, um, to the both of you mm-hmm. that. Firstly, I'm very, very sorry that you've had to deal with these kinds of situations, especially in a province where a lot of us view as very, 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 very liberal and forward and, you know, inclusive and or they present as such. Right. Kelowna is not as liberal as you think. And this is the thing. but, But, you know, when we talk about BC, we're including everybody. Right. And when you talk about Alberta, you're including everybody. 
and the rep that Alberta is very, very racist and very, very, and very, very, a very bad rap. And I can't, I think maybe this year might be the very first year I've had to have a conversation with my oldest about race and she's 12. And I don't think we've necessarily experienced that yet. We haven't, and I keep waiting for it. And, and mind you, when I moved to Grand Prairie, we were, I was asked by a few ladies and they said, you know, have you experienced any racism? A couple of white ladies and her, cause our kids were playing together. And I said, you know what, if I have, I probably have honestly missed it because it's it was maybe passive or it was passive aggressive and I don't take it if you, unless you were going to be aggressively racist I don't pay attention to it and they're like oh okay that's interesting because you know everybody talks about how racist Grand Prairie is or how racist Alberta is and I was like I'm yet to really experience it to the point that I had to take a step back and go wait a minute. So like only this year I've had to have a conversation with her, but I haven't really even had to have a deep conversation with her. They haven't quite, and you know, knock on wood, please God, that they don't experience that. But I can't imagine what it feels like, because like you said, and I, as a person of color and a woman, a grown person, you can take it on and you can deal with it. But once it starts to affect your children, that's a different story. That's a different, the whole mama bear comes out and now you're like, this, these are my children. Like they are, they are a part of me. So you can hate me all you want, but these children have done nothing. They're fully innocent in this entire situation. And, and I think you and I grew up in an environment where we learned very quickly how to deal with race. Yeah. And, yeah. and also microaggressions because although we didn't grow up in like apartheid times we still had to experience a lot of microaggressions and so we yeah. are able to identify those things pretty easily yes but it's hard to kind of teach your, your children, children yeah not that it's hard navigate that and not that it's hard it's hurtful Mm-hmm. yes it's yeah. not hard to tell your child okay this is how you deal with this because you can strategize all you want it's that emotion that comes with it that's the hardest part to nail down and figure out what do I do with this emotion because I can't, you cannot do anything with it you literally can't there's nothing you can do about it well I remember having that conversation I remember saying to Jenna it's unfair that I am having to have a conversation about race with my three-year-old when other parents can wait until their child is cognitively capable of understanding that concept, yeah, whatever age that is. And I think that there is a a big sense of frustration and anger, like very real anger that I am having to, my child is losing her innocence, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a tough one because it's like, I, f- you feel all these angers, you f- all these feelings, sorry, these emotions. And you're like, I, I want to scream, but there's no, there's no words that can come out of my mouth that would explain the feeling for you to understand. It's just going to come out as if I'm being overdramatic or I'm being sensitive or whatever the case be but you're not understanding that there's serious emotion that goes into this and i wish that there was a there was a way to actually teach but you can't teach compassion and you can't teach empathy people have to have it or they don't and that's an incredibly difficult thing especially when it comes to children with us like you're going to be racist towards me 
whatever. I don't eat food at your house, so I don't care. But my child has to witness that. My child has to deal with that. And that is the part where it becomes very, very, very cloudy for me. Do you find it's Kelowna or do you think like uh, Vancouver's like that? Like, you know, what's the rest of BC like? Oh, I think that B- <laughs> BC is an interesting place because it does present itself as a, as liberal. But to be honest, like it, it have a lot. I used to live in Vancouver and I have a lot of friends there still. And I think they're experiencing these types of things. Actually, I was just there. And my friend was telling me a story and I was like, what? Like as a grown woman, you're experiencing that still. And I, I, the more you travel within the province, you really realize how white this province is. Um, and if it's not white, it's like heavily dominated by like the Asian immigration, yeah. which, you know, we, we no one understand that. And I think they face oh yeah a lot of discrimination as well, right? Anybody with an, like an Asian descent, right? So yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. And you know, it's interesting your comments before, because I think back and I'm like, sometimes because my husband spent the first... I don't know, 25 years of his life at home. I think he's slower to pick up on pieces than than maybe I than maybe I am. I think you're right. Um, and I think maybe that's my issue is for the most part, we grew up, then I and I grew up in a situation where that stuff was so every day that now it's like, well, I don't know, maybe you're being microaggressive, but I, I don't know, because it's what I'm so used to seeing and dealing with that I'm no longer taking it seriously. The other thing is, Cookie, and I'm not sure if this has been your experience as well, but family members will be like, like, why are you so upset about this? You know, you have like aunts and uncles saying, just it's not that big of a deal like you know that this is going to happen but their experience like our parents generation's experience of racism and microaggression is on steroids right it's on a, a whole other level and so they look and say oh somebody touched your child's hair that's nothing like why are you so upset about that <laughs> like they didn't they didn't pull her hair so you were good carry on right their level and then us and then i think our children will be at a different at a diff- different level i genuinely did not expect that bc that's what bc was like i thought that they were for sure you know open and and whatever and i didn't realize it was like that at all but i get a lot of that oh you live in Alberta, you know you get a lot of that from toronto oh alberta mm-hmm. yeah definitely redneck so you guys are just drowning in racism over there and it's like um well you know maybe some people and for sure i'm not saying that it's not happening that's not what i'm saying right but- in terms of the yeah. school situation or daycare situation, we haven't had those kinds of experiences, thank God. And so to me, when people say Alberta is so redneck and so racist, I'm like, you know, yeah, probably. They definitely are pockets of that. But I find it very, very welcoming. People are very, very warm um, and genuine. They're genuine. And if they don't like you, they'll let you know. And then you move on. And it's life. And yeah. it's fun, right? Here in the Maritimes, like I, I always say this is the nicest place I've lived. Everybody here is nice. And a lot of the microaggressions are just based on ignorance. Ignorance, um, yeah. But you have a conversation with somebody from like Dartmouth or Halifax and they will have a very different perception of race. So Jenna, what advice would you have for your younger self? I don't know. I mean, I th- I think like some good advice for moms is just maybe not my younger self, but maybe just moms in general is like, mm-hmm. you know, 
just try to live your authentic life and not get kind of bogged down with the societal views and opinions of what you should be and what you could be and what you're supposed to be. And it's like, have conversations with your partner about like, how do we want to raise our family? Yes. How do we want to raise our children? Not the other children down the yeah. street or next door, but our own children. How do we want to raise our own children? How do we want our children to carry themselves through the world? Come to some agreements on that and just like raise your kids authentically and don't let society's pressures kind of bog you down and, and, and you know, pressure you into believing something that maybe you don't value, yes. right? Because I think that's the big thing. Sometimes our values become misaligned because of societal pressures and and they don't need to be, right? I think those are conversations between, you know, us and our partners, whoever those partners might be in life. Um, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I, I think we're going to raise good humans. If we can do that, we're going to raise really good people. Those are, um, that's amazing, amazing, amazing advice. And I think a lot of moms need to hear that. I think a lot of young moms, especially, need to mm -hmm. know that it's got nothing to do with the world outside. It's got to do with what you do inside. Whatever you can do, whatever you feel yes. is right, whatever you and your partner think is right, that's where you need to be. That's where you need to put all of your energy. That's where you need to put all of your time. That's where you need to put all of your efforts is in focusing on what you and your husband value, you and your partner value, and instill that in your children. Never mind what everybody else is doing because they are doing what they think is right. We are all winging it, man. Like nobody has, you can ask other moms, you know, questions just for clarity, but do not lean on everybody else's way of raising children. Lean on your, your, boys and yours partner and start in the home. Because what you do in the home comes out. A hundred percent. And Absolutely. I just want to say one thing. Um, the best piece of advice that you ever gave me, Jenna, was to make sure that I raise my children with strong self-confidence. And I remember you saying that if your children have good self-esteem, all of these other external things that we can't control are just easier for them to navigate. And yeah. um, I've never forgotten that, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm happy. I, like, that's interesting because sometimes you don't know, like, you, you forget when you talk to people, like what they take from the conversation. And I have never forgotten their, like, their journey, right? Forgotten that, that, um, conversation. It's, it's still true. It's like you like, have it's a child with strong self-esteem. They'll be able to navigate yeah. these issues like racism, microaggressions, everything. All right, folks, we're going to take a yeah. short break and we'll be right back with this week's letter. And we are back, everybody. So let's get to this week's letter. So this week's letter comes from Fiona, and she is in Waterloo, Ontario. She says, hi, Denai and Cookie. My name is Fiona, and my family and I live in Waterloo, Ontario. I have one child, a son who's going to grade two. I am white, and my husband is African from Ghana. We live fairly close to my husband's sister and parents. His parents are great. But his sister, let's call her Angela, asks comments about my son's hair all the time. Right now, we're letting him grow it out, so it's pretty long, but Angela's constantly telling me that I either need to cut it or I need to get it braided. I've told her multiple times that his hair is fine, but now she's passing comments in front of my in-laws, who've also started telling me to cut his hair. She says, I don't respect the culture because I'm choosing to keep his hair long, but it's not unkempt and it's always clean. My husband has no real opinion, like a true African man, 
but he thinks <laughs> she didn't say that. I'm just adding that. Um, <laughs> but he thinks I should just cut it to keep the peace. To me, it's not just about the hair. It's the principle of letting me decide what's right for my child. Am I wrong? Am I overreacting? Can you give me some advice? Ooh. Ooh. That's a, that's an interesting one. And I, it's interesting because my brain goes like directly to just like uh, culture, mm-hmm. country side by side, Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire and this notion of like, it's interesting because, you know, this idea of like uh, cut hair, uh, whether it's shaved or like really close to the scalp equals clean hair. And like, a pre- yes. you're presenting as a certain way. Um which is, is fascinating. But I also think like in this context, it's like, it's a tricky one. Cause you're like trying to, you know, keep the in-laws at peace, but I, I'm, I'm not about to keep anybody at peace. It's my well, child's life. Have I you had life. anyone tell you about what to do with your kid's hair? Because you are also white and I'm sure <laughs> that people have had, or yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming that people have made comments, tried to, yeah. Made comments, tried to give you advice. Yeah. You know, I have such a, just a unique situation because my sister-in-law lived with me for a very long time in Toronto and did my kid's hair and it was always beautiful. And I got, I I actually more got like, who does your kid's hair? It's amazing. <laughs> yep. uh, and then she'd be with me and I'd be like, my sister-in-law, because she's amazing. Um, and then, you know, they'd be like, oh, I thought you were lesbians. And I was like, no, that's my sister-in-law. Um, so, you know, it was always a fun situation, but I, I just still think like it's not the in-laws or nobody else's choice or nobody's decision. Like it's your child, it's your decision. But again, that's me speaking from my own personality mm-hmm. and, and what I what I would say. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, like jump. I on. think the part where I'm a little bit upset for her is that she realizes she, and I'm glad she's realized that this is my child. So regardless yeah. of your opinion, it remains my child. And if I want to make his hair unkempt and I want to leave him be and just whatever, that's up to me. That's not up mm-hmm. to you. And then the part, I think the part where she's torn though, is probably considering, am I disrespecting their culture? Is there something I'm missing about their culture that I need to respect? But also I feel like they're disrespecting her as a mother. And cause you know, as oh, a black mother, mean. if, or just as a mother in general, for someone to speak on, your child's hair like just imagine um for example jana your mom let's just say your kids were all white and your mother keeps making comments about your child's hair that's just as that's just as hurtful and just as disrespectful because it's like why do you feel like you need to make comments about my child's hair you're saying something about my motherhood by speaking on the way i want to do my child's hair so regardless of whether it's black or white nobody needs to make those kinds of comments that's right absolutely yeah. And I think there is a way of being respectful to everybody involved yes. and still setting those boundaries. And mm-hmm. I have very opinionated family members to, who have also made comments on my, my children's hair. And the way that I navigated is listen to what they say. If they say, hey, this, this kid's hair needs to be X, Y, Z, listen to what they say. And I'll say, well, thank you for giving me your advice we're trying this now to see how it goes Mm. and Mm -hmm. you know that doesn't completely shut the door and it doesn't basically tell them i'm not interested in your opinion um Mm -hmm. but it also sets the boundary that this is what i am trying right now i think the challenge is that her husband seems 
to just want peace. He wants, he's a peace lover, a lover of peace and not yeah. a peacemaker. And I think he needs to take on more of that role of peacemaker and set the, the boundary and the expectation. It's his sister. He can be like, hey, yo, Angela, I appreciate that you're trying to make sure that our kid looks presentable. But he is presentable. I'm assuming his Absolutely. hair is, like For she sure. said, it's clean. It's tied up or, or whatever. Even if it's not, he needs to set that boundary mm -hmm. with his family. And it, it's just hard. Yeah, because Africans can be very, very direct. And they don't, I, I honestly, as I'm growing, I'm learning that they don't mean to be like that. It's just, mm -hmm. that's what it is. They don't, they're not trying to offend you. They're not trying to hurt your feelings. That is not the goal. Not all, obviously, there's some situations where they really are, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, majority that is not the intention the intention is i'm advising you i'm talking to you as a child as my child i'm trying to um so it, it can have those levels in zimbabwe your relatives by nature will be very opinionated because people in the culture don't see your child as just belonging to you it is their right. child the community right? yep so because there is that communal aspect it kind of gives them that cultural license to be more opinionated. Like, I, I don't think my relatives on the white side would ever say anything like that because it's like, it's not your child. But the African side, I can, I can totally see this conversation happening in my head. Totally. And because I understand the culture, I'm not as offended. But then what needs to happen is her husband needs to set that boundary. I wonder if the two of them, though, need to unpack culture a bit. For me, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, whoa, are you guys understanding each other? Do you understand each other's cultures? And does she understand? Yeah, does she understand the directness of his culture and what that means? And, you know, is he understanding, like, does she understand why he wants to keep the peace? Jen, I think you're 100% right. And that's what I was saying at the beginning. Sometimes these marriages are of, and this is going to sound super shallow, but sometimes it's, oh, he's so hot, I get to marry a black man or, or I get to marry a white woman, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. without fully unpacking mm -hmm. everything because there's so mm -hmm. so many layers there's so many things to talk yeah. about there's so yeah. many things to push through and work out and agree on and if you're going to agree to go this way then you're both going that way and strong couples will protect each other and part of that protection is not sheltering them but educating yeah. them maybe have a conversation with your husband and encourage him to be more active in or Maybe at least to have an opinion. Your mm -hmm. opinion, not his opinion. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with today's news. So we are back. Today, big news on the internet is that Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, was in a Cup magazine feature. In the feature, she talks a lot about her life post-royal and moving to the United States to start her family away from the negative press in the UK. There is a particular passage in the article and if you have an opportunity you should totally go read it we'll have some information in our show notes but there's a passage in the article that talks about how toxic tabloid culture is and how it's torn essentially their two families apart and i think there's so many layers to the story but the one aspect i'd like to get your opinions on is how external pressures in society can aggravate interracial relationships and how that in turn affects parenting the article really does describe how much more free 
Megan feels that she is to parent without, you know, royal protocol and all of those, you know, external influences. So what are your thoughts on this, ladies? Okay, so first of all, I'm just going to come out and say I don't care for Meghan Markle. I'll say that right off the hop. And I feel like, not that I know her not on a personal level. I don't, obviously. None of us do. But this is the thing. You married into the royal thing. And right off the hop, you have to know that they have protocols that they live by. And that is a decision you made. That is a decision you said, I'm going to marry this person. And there's no way Harry did not or before they even got married, there's no way they would, this stuff was not communicated to her. This is how we run this house. This is how we run this entire thing. And if you don't want to be a part of that, then feel free to step out and, and go and move on. I don't agree with the fact that she decided to take Harry out of that. That, whether it was his decision or not, whichever it is. But you marry into something like that, you have to know that that is what they do. That is how they live. That is how they have lived. You cannot come and try and change them because in your mind, you, they should be doing things more Americanized. Nobody ever said North America was where things should come from. But I don't agree with her at all. And I feel like that was the life that she married into. And that was a choice she made. I get that media's madness. It is. And Diana dealt with that. She absolutely hated mm -hmm. that. And so she is not the first person to go through with that. To mm -hmm. go through that, Diana absolutely went through that a lot. She had a really hard time with that. And so she must not have read up on history. Let's just go with that. But for me, I, I have no care for Meghan Markle. She put herself in this situation. She cannot blame the royal family for being who they are. She cannot. Ooh. Yeah, she can't. It's true. She can't. But there's parts of me that I'm like, I'm actually just like so happy she's doing what she's doing. And I gotta, she's exposing I'm them. Really? Uh, yeah. And I kind of think she's all the tea, it. which I, I think is yes. refreshing. Um, I think Harry is like, I'm going to like represent my mom and I'm going to like find, I'm just going to be in love and allow life to do what it's going to do. And if she doesn't want to be a part of it, cool. Let's not be a part of it. This is the thing for me is like, I, I totally agree that, I mean, any person who grew up in like a post-British -colon post colonial environment has a very complicated, uh, maybe not complicated, but complex perspective of the monarchy. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I yeah. understand what you're saying, Cookie, and that we all know that there are certain things about that kind of life that are trash and also even question why we have a, a monarchy in the first place. But here's where I think, here's why I feel like I, I, I feel for them. The first thing is that it's very likely that Harry had a, a discussion with her and assured her that he would protect her. And we saw a little bit of this before they got married, when the when Buckingham, Buckingham Palace actually released a statement denouncing the unfair treatment that she was getting after they announced their engagement. I think they had some sort of a discussion where he promised that he would take care of her. And it's likely that she was under the impression that going into this relationship she would have that support. Mm. What they probably didn't bank on is the fact that Meghan Markle is actually very popular amongst the younger generation. And because of that popularity, I think that it kind of appended a lot of the existing protocols and like traditions that they had at Buckingham Palace, which have, has angered a lot of traditionalists. 
people who could not understand why she wanted to have her home renovated or why she wanted to have people singing black gospel at a wedding, you know, all, all these sorts of things. And it is incredibly unfair. Some of the things that they have said about her to me, it's very okay. triggering because they talk about her being so me, the black Jezebel that's come to England to seduce, okay, okay. you know, the son of the King or the future King of England. Outside, outside of the race. Right. Here's the thing. My thing that we need to realize is that America or Americans think that their their way of life is the best way of life and their way of life is how everybody should be living. And for me, I don't feel that that's fair. The, the English have lived this way for all their time. And yes, we are calling them out on things that they've done. Why do we have a monarchy? Blah, blah, blah. They take money, all that stuff. I get it. There's definitely a whole lot. And speaking... Diana did try to bring that out, right? She didn't try to say a lot. She tried to protect her boys and she tried to live a life that was protective and in a way that wasn't quite monarchy-like. But I feel for Harry because this is his family. And we need yes. to remember that. We need to take a step back and remember that this is his family. This is all he knows. That's his father, his brother, his nephews and nieces. That's his grandmother. Those are real people to him. Those are people who he who raised him when his father when his mother when his mother passed away but he chose and now he chose to, no he made the decision to leave okay but that's the thing he made that, the decision oh why are we blaming the woman in this situation I'm jenna you were about to say something <laughs> go ahead jenna <laughs> no i i i'm loving the banter i'm it's interesting because i'm not i'm not like uh I agree. I, I don't think America should hold the power and should always believe they're the best and we should all live like Americans. But I do believe in this idea and notion of like living freely mm -hmm. and living the way you want to live as a couple. So that's where, where I'm coming and that's from. That's very like, North you know American. What? Yeah. If they, yeah. And if they've made this decision and, but I've got like a spidey sense that Harry, I hear what you're saying, but I just got a spidey sense. Like maybe he just wanted out. Like maybe he was just tired of that, even though those are his people. Because like at some point, sometimes in our lives, like we want away from our people. We still love them dearly, but we want away. A hundred percent. And he has shown throughout his life that he is not like the rest of his family. So we don't know what his intentions were. I think with regards to the reason why I feel so bad for her is because I look at her children and just the amount of negative press that exists about her children and the way she wants to raise her children. And that makes me sad for her. But that's as a mother, a hundred percent. I do feel bad. I do feel that. Yeah. She's definitely going to have a little bit more uh, press on her and how she wants to raise her children and that, the the being black uh, is going to play a factor in all of that, and I totally get that, and that's got to be hurtful. It de definitely has got to be hurtful. And, and her children, who are not black presenting, no, they're are not black still presenting. facing discrimination. Yeah. yeah, and I think I I I think in her mind it would be easier to raise her children in a country like America, where this discourse about race is so prevalent. Like yeah. it is, yeah. it's one of the few countries in the world where there is a lot of discourse around race racism. and racism and discrimination. And if you look at England, people just don't really talk about it the way that it is done in America. And so I think that she thought I'm going to raise my children 
in this environment where they're they're support they're going to be other people like them they're not going to be othered all the time yeah but either way at the end of the day she's raising them from a place yes. of privilege no yes. matter which way we roll the dice you know it's it's yeah it's i mean it's tricky because there may be discourse in america but let's let's not forget that it's not uh, you know, as a, a person of color, it's it's not a no, great place to live. Not. And so she's definitely experiencing it uh, from a different level. Um, but I do think... Oh, 100%. Because if Meghan Markle was dark-skinned, I think that... Um, it would be a different conversation. It, oh, yeah, it would be an entirely different really? conversation. And likely that marriage would not have, not have happened. No. Wouldn't have even happened, yeah. And it'd be interesting to understand her, like, I know we know a little bit about her upbringing, but like, mm -hmm. how does she present? How does she see herself? Like, I think it'd be really interesting to dive into those kind of questions. She said that she identifies as, as, as black, so biracial woman. And this is the thing. So I think in Canada, we have a, and this is just my observation. I think we have a very different um, concept of how we view blackness versus mm. how blackness is viewed in the mm -hmm. u.s so in the u.s mm. it's very much one drop the one drop rule like one drop of 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 black you identify as being black and it's uh, something yep. that is celebrated here i think in canada because we are multicultural by nature but also multicultural by law we are able to identify many subgroups of that yep. particular race because if you ask somebody if there is a difference between a black person from the caribbean a black person from africa and a black person from nova scotia for example they will tell you that there is a difference and potentially mm -hmm. their experiences in canada will be vastly different it's all based on immigration yeah. and how immigration how people yeah and it's interesting that you know you bring that up because i think about like my younger daughter, she, for the longest time, she's like, oh, I'm brown. <laughs> and we'd be like, no, you're, you're black. And she's like, no, but yeah. look at me. Like, I'm yeah. brown. So I, I think it's, it's interesting, right? Because it is, it's, it is how you view yourself, but also how society is viewing you and how society within your context of where you live views exactly. you. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so much, Jana. It's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you today. I really look forward to meeting other guests and hopefully you enjoyed your time with us. Um, and maybe next time you can, we can bring you, we can always bring you back and have more yeah. conversation for sure. Definitely. Yeah, it was wonderful yeah. chatting with you, Jenna, and wonderful to see you. And for our listeners out there, a reminder that you can catch fresh new episodes every Wednesday. Uh, they drop at noon Eastern and Apple podcast or wherever it is you get your podcast. If you have a question for us, if you have a comment, email us at mixedmotherhood.com pod at gmail.com thank you cookie thank Thanks you Jana. it's thank been you, wonderful Jenna. we'll see you next week bye the mixed motherhood podcast is written and produced by kudzai chimanikire and danai belanger all editing done by danai belanger and all musical credits from epidemic sound thanks so much for listening see you next time